It's funny looking back. 2014 has been a really hard year for me, but it certainly isn't a year where I haven't done anything. And so the backpack that I was afraid would not release the parachute has actually turned out to have more than one parachute in it, many kinds of parachutes in it. We're having sex and it's good sex, but there's lots of men in a big circle around us on the other side of the line wanking. Um, so that's a kind of strange experience. I was told by my mum I wasn't, uh, I was bad for being a man and then I was told at school I wasn't a proper man and so uh, I really have complicated relationship with the idea of being a man. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. This is a Getting Better Acquainted Extra and it definitely is extra. It's a pretty long episode. It deals with mental health issues, uh, depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, feelings of ugliness and kind of body hatred. It also deals with bullying and sort of being hit when you're a child. So those sorts of things will be coming up. Also fun, lots of fun stuff is also talked about joyful times, sex clubs and amazingly shambolic gigs and me talking about some of the positive things that have happened to me this year, as well as a few little admin bits where I'm just telling you about some stuff. So please be patient with those bits. But sometimes podcasters have to tell their audiences things. So there is sadness and negativeness, but not really very much. But just I wanted to let you know that it was there in case you didn't feel like coming across that stuff by accident in the middle of a newsletter. All right. Hope you enjoy the show. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with, well with me again uh which happens quite frequently these days on this show uh but also with kind of 2014 and what happened to me during that year because getting better acquainted started 2014 with a getting better acquainted extra which was titled uncertain new year and it was kind of about what had happened to me where my life was going and how i wasn't sure what would happen in the coming year and part of it was to preemptively apologize. I thought that because of all of the uncertainty that was surrounding my, my year that was coming up, that I probably wouldn't get getting better acquainted out as regularly. And I wanted to explain that. And I also wanted to give people an idea of where my life is at, because this show doesn't come out chronologically. So you hear conversations recorded at many moments in time and they come out in a different order than they were recorded. So one week you might hear me three years ago talking about a job that I no longer have, for example. And uh, the next week you might hear me now talking about the job that I currently do or the jobs that I currently do. And it could be confusing if there was no context for that. And so that episode was partly to give some context for that. It has been an uncertain new year. 2014 definitely was a, a year where many things happened to me and I was uncertain about how they would come off, if they would take place, if I would end 2014 in a much worse position than I had been in the past. One thing that definitely didn't happen is getting better acquainted didn't come out in an irregular fashion. It came out pretty much every week, same as always. 
I did take off two weeks this year for Christmas. Normally I take off one week, so maybe that's an example of, of how these days the show can be a little bit more irregular. I, I took off those two weeks for a mixture of self-care, relaxation, and to get started on some other projects which are not part of getting better acquainted so apologies for the longer than usual break and welcome to today's unusual show if you listen back to the uncertain new year episode you will hear me putting a brave face on a lot of things really listening back to it now i was really surprised at how upbeat or how positive i managed to make myself feel or sound at least uh, when I was doing that episode because I certainly was was not as together as I sounded in that in that recording now I would say I probably am pretty together as far as these things go it's been a complicated year but yeah I'm pretty together and today's episode is going to be focusing on some of the things that I did this year sharing with you some of the non-getting better acquainted related performances or public speakings or whatever you want to call them uh, that I did this year. Hopefully they'll be entertaining. They were kind of highlights really for me of performing on stage so hopefully you'll agree with me that they're some of the best things I've laid down on audio and I'm also going to give you an update on what's been happening to me during that uncertain year of my life. So, at the beginning of the year, where I was at was, I knew that I was going to lose my day job in March. I had almost decided to go freelance, not quite. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in an ring. I'm hedging my bets on that during the episode. I was also umming and ring, toing and froing about whether I was going to take Stand Up Tragedy, my other show, up to the Edinburgh Festival which I did do, I decided to honour my original intentions even if my life surrounding that show wasn't going to be the same shape as I'd expected. I decided to carry on regardless and, and keep on trying to, to make stuff that I do happen. I was in the middle of what I think has been my, my longest term of kind of depression and anxiety, mostly depression, but with occasional anxious spurts, continuous mental health situation of my life, I think, the longest time consistently. I've, I've, I've been prone to anxiety and depression for quite some time, but it, it really hit me very intensively for about four months. And that was kind of partly triggered by Christmas and by doing a live show with Stand Up Tragedy called Tragic Christmas that explored all of the darker sides in Christmas. If you want a little bit more context to that trigger, you can have a listen back to this year's Christmas special, which is a pretty good show uh, it, and focuses on the more negative sides of, of the Christmas season and the more negative connotations people can have of that so now you've finished your christmases you might want to have a listen back to that it might chime with your experiences or it might give you some interesting contrasts to your joy and to, to a moment to imagine the people who are 
not having the joy that you might find within Christmas. Another brief apology about that. It turns out that because of a phasing issue, which is an audio thing, if you listen to that episode on an iPhone or probably on another smartphone device if you listen to it on the speakers you don't hear some of the audio in the episode and it just sounds like weird distorted sound that isn't the case if you listen to it online on your laptop and it's not the case if you listen to it through headphones so i didn't notice that problem and nor do i quite know how to solve that problem before putting it out but if you listen to it through headphones or through different speakers that aren't phone speakers it should work fine and you'll be able to hear the old audio that comes from a cassette tape that was transferred into digital which is why there's some phasing issues that i don't quite understand with it but you'll be able to hear that as well as the rest of the audio so apologies if it sounded like it wasn't working properly it does but you just have to listen to it correctly i may find a way of of solving that during the year and then I'll, I'll upload it again but anyway all the audio is there i haven't let stuff go out that sounds so terrible which was a big relief to me because that is how i started 2015 with uh, the realization that it sounded like there was no sound at the beginning and then when i listened back to it at other points of, uh, of my christmas special that i've been promoting and been excited about and was pleased with uh, and i thought it didn't work but it does work uh, just you have to listen to it right which was a relief to me that's the thing I guess that last year's uncertain new year moment was a little bit like that I felt like my life was going to just be distortion and wouldn't work properly but actually it turned out that those fears were not true at least for for this year of my life things were going to go right for me to a certain extent, as, as much as things ever go right, they can go wrong again, I'm sure, this year. And overall, even though it's been a really hard year and there's been a number of hard moments, uh, it has also been quite, a, a, I guess, an overall, a, a positive year for me. Uh, and I'll go into that now. So, as I say... The year began with quite a, a large spell of mental health complications. Uh, they coincided, not coincidentally actually, with the fact that my job was going to, to end in, in March and uh, that I was kind of working, doing a job that I loved, uh, but that I could not continue to do. And that job was taken from me and from the communities that that job was a part of by the cuts, uh, by government cuts, and that I was going to have to try and go freelance earlier than I'd intended to. So I've always had that, I guess, as the main goal to get to a point where I could make money from doing the things that I I do, things that I'm good at, creative type things. That's always been the end goal, and I've been working. As regular listeners to the show will know, I've been working for probably the last five or six years at getting my stuff into the arts, uh, getting becoming part of the arts and podcasting scenes and, and, and getting connections and, and, and doing work. But I, I didn't think I was ready, didn't think I'd built things up enough to, to take the jump yet, but that was the end goal. I was hoping to get to a point where my extracurricular activities, the stuff that I spent all of my time that I wasn't working doing, would be making enough money to make me know that 
going freelance would work. I was waiting to know that it would work. And I was having to leave before I was certain that it would work. So it was scary. It felt a little bit like jumping out of a plane without checking that you have a parachute in your backpack or not. So that was how that was how I was feeling. That's one of the reasons that I was feeling depressed and not the only reason because it's a, it's an it's something that I have a predisposition towards but that was one of the reasons that I spent that time feeling anxious and depressed. Despite all of that I released some music uh, called The Open EP which is a collection of my most personal songs I guess. Five songs that were about me, were about opening up who I am and sort of sharing the more complicated moments of myself with other people. Most of those songs have either been sung on Getting Better Acquainted at one point or at least they relate to experiences that I've talked about in conversations on Getting Better Acquainted. And I released them. Uh, They were five songs, like I say, that were really solidly about me, but they were produced by five different producers, all who know me. So they were kind of about me being presented by other people, me being open and honest about myself, and then that openness and honesty being taken by other people and forged into into new songs. So I'm quite pleased with that, and there, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. It's, uh, it's been funny because 2014 is a year when I've hardly played any music at all. I, I've played some songs, but they've all been old songs that I've been relearning to play one of in a stand-up tragedy gig. I haven't done any kind of music gigs. I haven't been in a regular band. I haven't been going to rehearsals and all the things that I used to have in my life. Like a bulldog clamped onto your flesh It just won't let you go And it brings you down But you let it bring you down Oh well But it's also been a, a year when I've released two albums Well, an EP and an album uh, Of songs that were recorded a while back But have finally come to being finished because sometimes that can be a long process particularly when the people you're working with have you know jobs and lives and stuff to balance against their needs to get projects finished so it's been surprising to me looking back that I've released so much music when I've made so little Uh, in March my job came to an end as as I sort of referred to already which, as, as it was happening, I began documenting that in social media. You can find me at GooseVat101 on Twitter, and uh, I'm on Facebook. I have an open account, so you can see what I do publicly, and you can follow me if you don't know me, because I will probably say no if you try and friend me if I don't know you. I was documenting it there on, on, on social media, and I was getting a lot of responses from people to my Facebook posts and pictures and my tweets, And I sort of 
because I did that documentation, I had all of that kind of raw material and I was thinking very hard about it. And most of that documentation, it was just documenting really my feelings about it, but also the presence that were being given to me by people who I used to work with, the communities who were finding these presents to, to, to give me to commemorate my time with them to show their love and their appreciation of what me and my service did and I kind of got to a point where I realized that there's a story in that there was a story that could be told about about the needs of that community about the sacrifices about the needs of those communities and what they would be losing when my service was taken away there was a story there to be shared and told so I put it together into a blog post uh, called my week of goodbyes which tries to demonstrate the value of my, my old job and the public services in general through the gifts and wishes that I was given by those children and the, and the parents that I worked with. And also during that, that, that march, that march where I was still working my old job, which was I was an early years library outreach worker, which means I sang songs and told stories to children under five on behalf of the library service. And I, I, I did that in all kinds of community groups around Enfield, so from affluent areas to uh, what people might call disadvantaged areas, but there's complications to that language. But anyway, but they are disadvantaged, clearly, by their public services being taken from them because they can't afford to get people in to entertain and to educate their children uh, in the in a social setting like like what I used to do. They can't afford to have those resources, but the affluent areas where I was taken away from, of course, they can afford to to have those resources. So I guess disadvantaged in this respect at least is the right word. In fact, maybe it is the right word because it is about advantage. It is about privilege, the inequalities that we have in our culture. And uh, I guess I'm a pretty privileged person, but that service was was a way of redistributing privilege and it was cut by the government, a government who are vastly privileged compared to the privilege that I have. So... That was what the job that I did. You can read more about that in the blog, which I will also link to in the show notes. But during that time, I also began my freelance career in earnest. I ran a podcasting workshop with Pod Academy, uh, which was commissioned by the RSA for a group of people who were in recovery. So we were basically teaching members of the RSA and uh, service users who are transitioning from substance use to recovery. We were teaching that group of people how to make podcasts, how to tell their stories. So that was quite a diverse group of people, really, with different kinds of points of view that they were bringing to that workshop. And it was a really great and uh, powerful experience that was great it, it demonstrates as did many things that i did this year that anyone can make podcasts and anyone can make interesting content about their lives and how valuable those pieces of content are to them in the process of making them and to others in the process of listening to them so in many ways that's really validated what i'm doing it 
getting better acquainted and uh, has made me passionate to do more of that. Um, so anyway, as I have gone freelance, uh, you can find my freelance projects generally on my website, which is DavePickeringStoryteller.co.uk. So if you want to commission me to do podcast training in your organization with your groups of people, like I did with Pod Academy, but I've also done later in the year, which I'll get to later, go there, have a look at what I've done and uh, contact me. You can contact me in many ways. I'm really contactable and open to commissions. You'll notice, though, that this episode will be less solicitous of commissions than I was in my last year's one in my uncertain new year and there's a certain tone in that that I find painful to hear which is I'm kind of pleading for people to 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 reach out to me and to commission me and to do stuff with me I have been really lucky that that has been the case one of the things that going freelance has been really surprising in is that it was the right time at least it so far looks like it was the right time to go freelance that you can never truly know fully that you're going to be safe you sometimes have to take the step without knowing but it turns out that i i do have i have all of the work that i did do it wasn't done in a vacuum it wasn't going to be forgotten that people have approached me consistently and offered me work since I've gone freelance in a way that I hadn't expected and I'm incredibly grateful for and it's allowed me to do lots of work during this year and that work came to me in ways that I just had not expected and I'm really grateful for. When I was doing that Pod Academy training I met Joe Barrett from another podcast which is a really great podcast that you should check out called life in sense and uh, we've been doing training together since then and if you would like to get some people to come in and train your organization uh yeah we'll do that get in contact with us i'll go into that later on as i go through the year of things that we did but yes i wanted to give a shout out for joe and his podcast so when my job finished my financial future and also at that moment my accommodation my living situation were both in big jeopardy and i was even more uncertain in that march than maybe at any other point i didn't know whether i was going to be able to afford to live in london still where i was going to have to move to what that would mean about like i want to be close to my dad because my dad is 90 i want to be in london because that's where my network is that's where all my connections currently are so all of the things that i can do freelance are kind of partly in relation to being in London. So not being able to be in London because I can't afford to be in London would mean that I would be less likely to be able to afford to live anywhere because I wouldn't be able to make as much money. Not that I make lots of money. One of the good things about working part-time for the public services for years and having that be your day job is that you're used to not making very much money and so when you go freelance you're not trying to capture the kind of salary that that, that a lot of people who are middle class like myself are, are used to getting I wasn't a teacher I wasn't working in many many industries where I would go whoa there's there's no money so I have no context for this I'm luckily or unluckily or usefully at least being a freelancer i'm only looking to make the kind of money that i was making when i didn't get very well paid and i'm used to living without very much expenditure because that is all i've been able to do for, for all of my working life really anyway with my house and my job 
in complete and utter question and I didn't know where I was, wherever I was coming or going, I, of course, decided to take my first actual holiday where I wasn't doing any work. I wasn't mixing holiday with creative endeavours. My first proper time out holiday in a long time and I went to Amsterdam with my partner Jen. Whilst I was in Amsterdam I released the open episodes on Getting Better Acquainted which was I guess one of the big seasons for me personally this year on the show but there's been lots of really interesting episodes on Getting Better Acquainted this year. Over the new year I've been sharing the episodes that came out this year under the hashtag GBA2014 so if you want to have a listen back to the other episodes you want to have a search through them you can find that through Twitter there or incidentally getting better acquainted on Twitter at GBA podcast so yeah I mean those open episodes were really about me opening up even further I mean in a way they're a kind of companion piece to the open EP. I've been sort of signposting that I'm being more open and preparing myself to be more open this year. In those episodes, the open episodes, I do talk about the fact that a few years ago me and Jen opened up our relationship and have kind of got a new way that we run our our relationship and our way that we interact with the world. But that's not the only thing I've been opening up about. Uh, and it's not something I want to necessarily position as something that defines me. Openness is more what it's about, not just being open about our relationship, but also being open with ourselves and with each other. Approaching the world with a kind of open hand and and being prepared to, to share our realities. One of the realities that my life has is that I have mental health issues. I've been coming to terms with them on mic for quite a few years. Regular listeners to Getting Better Acquainted will probably have heard many of the different kind of iterations of my relationship with my mind and how I feel about my myself. 2014 has given me many opportunities to, to open up about that in a public sphere. 2014 has been about opening up and coming out about my mental health issues, my relationship choices, and my vulnerabilities generally. It's been nerve-wracking, but it's also been filled with people giving me support, love, and solidarity. I began freelancing in earnest from mid-April, and I made myself a website for my freelance services, which I've already plugged to you, but it's davepickeringstoryteller.co.uk. I got myself a load of new business cards and began trying to explain to people who I gave them to what I actually mean when I call myself a storyteller because obviously that's supposed to be a kind of umbrella term to to take in lots of the different things that I do podcasting writing true storytelling running nights doing social media I tell stories right that's what I do so storyteller fits that but when you say storyteller they imagine you to be something slightly different from what what I mean when I say storyteller although I can tell stories to children I can do uh, that kind of stuff with the under fives I did that for years so that's one thing I can do but when you hear that word you have a different connotation so that's an always an interesting thing for me to answer when I when I have to answer the question I ask people a lot on getting better acquainted which is what do you do now I say I'm a storyteller and then I have to give them 
even longer paragraphs than I did for my last job in order to feel comfortable with that answer. Uh, one of the first things that I did with my freelance was to take one last tilt at the cuts and, and uh, talk about my loss of my job and the community's loss of my job. Uh, I pitched my story to comment is free. I had had quite a lot of retweets from a lot of people for my blog. So I used that as a second option to 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 pitch the story again because uh, they they didn't like the first pitch uh or they hadn't seen the first pitch but then they they came back to me and they they asked me to rewrite my blog rather than putting it out there in the original format they asked me to rewrite it to their style which i did uh, and the result was the guardian comment is free piece uh, if it was a tough choice to cut my job then come and tell the children why i have mixed feelings about that article and the comments underneath it um but sometimes you have to fit a different format to tell your story to as many people as possible and i probably prefer the original blog piece but that was shorter and reached a lot more people uh then i took on a podcast project with the pedestrian advocacy group living streets i produced four podcasts for them uh, and trained their staff uh, with joe barrett again in how to make podcasts later in the year me and joe also did some training with mind the mental health charity teaching them how to do podcasts ways that they could use podcasts to tell stories which hopefully will help them to tell more stories from the people who experience mental health because i truly believe in in being led by the voices of people having experiences and i'm pretty sure mind are into that too this was the first of two collaborations uh that i've had with mind this year which has been a a really i i mean i i really support what they do by and large and so it's been great to to, to throw my hat in with them and to support them but it's also been quite good for me in that this has been a year about about opening up and being more honest about mental health and it's been good to 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 find collaborations and interactions that have been supportive to that and to, to have not considered me to be stigmatized when when talking about mental health yeah it's been a kind of mixture of the personal and the political in that sense for me this year i've done a lot of gigs most of them were put on by me but my two favourites that were put on by other people were Geek Show Off, I, I, which is an offshoot of Science Show Off and run by the wonderful and lovely Steve Cross. Uh, I'd done that night twice and talked about the Moomins and the goddess Athena there, which is rare to be able to talk about either of those niece topics to a room full of people who are actually kind of interested in hearing what you say geek shelf probably led to the moomin episodes the that have that came out this year on getting better acquainted there's a playlist of those that was quite linked in to what getting better acquainted is all about the other one was risk live in london which was a collaboration between the u.s podcast risk and the truth storytelling night that i run uh the hackney branch of spark london it took place on the 4th of july and i told a long form true story there in many ways signing up to tell that story was what made this year a year about opening up that was the catalyst that kind of led to everything else because risk asks people to take a risk when they tell stories and i'm pretty out there generally when i tell stories so in order for me to take a risk i really have to talk about something that i'm uncomfortable sharing in public also 
it was a story that it's hard to slot into other places. So, but it was a story that I wanted to tell. So this story was in many ways the pebble that caused my honesty avalanche this year. It is also, as I sort of referred to earlier on, one of the things that I've done on stage that I'm the most proud of. And I'm going to share that with you now. And after that, I'll carry on filling you in on my year. Sorry I've been talking so long about myself. Here's me talking more entertainingly, perhaps arguably, about myself at the Risk Live in London show. To get a full version of that show, check out the Risk podcast. And in fact, check out the Risk podcast anyway if you're into people sharing their experiences. But be fully warned, it's generally not safe for work and generally on the more complicated and like emotionally complicated or gross sides of what it is to be a human so there'll be a mixture of 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 kind of gross out stuff and uh emotionally vulnerable and open and potentially triggering stuff so with that warning in mind i do really endorse risk so here i am taking a risk with risk back in july So uh, ever, ever since I was a teenager, I felt ugly. I don't know if it was because of the things that happened at home uh, in my childhood where, you know, my stepdad hit me and my mum sort of uh, said various different cliches that also hurt, you know, like you've ruined Christmas or I wish I'd never had you or uh, men are to blame for everything in the world, particularly you and uh, yeah big stuff that made me feel like bad about myself there or if it was what happened to me at school which uh when i was 12 i changed schools and went to cardiff i was a an english boy in cardiff with a difficult home life and so i was picked on and uh, i became a kind of bullied person within the whole school like uh, they had a nickname for me which was melvin and everywhere i went down the corridors it would be melvin melvin uh you know people spitting on me kicking me uh calling me melvin everywhere i went girls saying melvin so ugly boys saying you're gay uh melvin and uh, kind of melvin became almost synonymous with gay and ugly uh when when i heard that word that's how i felt about myself um it was pretty intense i mean i guess the most intense moment uh, as an idea it was when uh, i threatened to slit my own wrists in the art class because i was so upset by everything that everyone was saying and the entire art class cheered me on uh, making it a bit awkward for me because obviously it was a cry for help and i didn't actually want to do it so i kind of had to back out in public <laughs> awkward so yeah i feel ugly about myself that's how i felt all through my teenage years i mean i did have girlfriends but that didn't take away the ugliness i felt about myself and then i went to university i met my partner and we fell in love had a lovely relationship and you know with ups and downs like any relationship for 11 years and uh then uh 11 years into that relationship we decided to open up our relationship so that we could uh, sleep with other people uh, in an ethical way, everybody knowing that's what we did. So we opened up our relationship and that's a, a, a cool thing to open up your relationship, but also opening up the relationship for me was like opening up this Pandora's box of everything I felt when I was a teenager about feeling ugly because now I've got to face rejection again. So 
uh, that's what happened. And, you know, my partner could find uh, people to sleep with when she wanted to. And I uh, couldn't because uh, not, it's not such a great opportunity for women uh, in some ways. Uh, they might want uh, casual sex, but uh, it's easier to hook up with someone who isn't already in a relationship. And so it's hard for me to sort of like find people. Going through OkCupid okay just brought back that re- rejection feeling uh, that I just alluded to. So um, I decided to go to a uh, swingers club. Uh, a sex club to to because I figured that the women there would be down for casual sex and I was down for casual sex and that's that's what I decided to do. So I looked up online, found a place, set off to go to the swingers club. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, on the way there, there was a misconnection and I sort of like uh, was racing to get the train. I jumped on the train in, uh, in King's Cross and I got on the train and I was sweating and I was like, this does not feel sexy. I feel I'm sweating. I'm, uh, I'm feeling ugly. Uh, I don't really know if I, the place is open from like 11 till five in the morning and I haven't got a way home. So uh, I have to stay the whole time, really. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking a risk here. And, uh, but then I sort of look over on the train and there's a woman on the other side of the train. I start thinking, mm, well, maybe she's going to this sex club. So uh, that could work out quite well. So that kind of made my, my feelings like slightly a bit more like positive in that moment. And then so I get to Alexandra Palace, uh, where the, the club is, and uh, go down a back alley. And there's lots of uh, CCTV in that back alley, uh, reasonably, to protect the club and uh, the people inside it. Uh, but it's a slightly scary thing to go down a back alley uh, to a place that you've never sort of been before and sort of knock on a big metal door and an old man uh, looks out at you and says, have you got your reference number? And you go, uh, I've got my ID, but I haven't got my reference number. And he's like, well, you look like an honest guy to me, so you can come in. Uh, so I went into the sex club and uh, it was a sex club. So uh, uh, I meet the, uh, the concierge who is, uh, well, she feels German to me, but I think she was Polish. Uh, she kind of had a, had a, had a she, she kind of, she was dressed like a kind of cross between a dominatrix and a blue coat. Um, and... Uh, and, you know, the people who run the sex club, uh, who were like a kind of a couple that were kind of a mix between EastEnders and Carry On, I guess. Uh, is, is, and uh, so I meet those people and the, 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 the waitresses who are behind the bar, uh, who, you know, are just in uh, bikinis and stuff. So uh, already I'm, I'm definitely in a sex club. And uh, so the concierge, she, uh, she shakes my hand and, and uh, I, sh- I shake it back and she says, you haven't got a very sh- firm handshake. And I'm like, okay. Uh, nice to meet you too. I actually think that my handshake is a perfectly reasonable amount of firmness. Uh, that's the firmness I'm comfortable with, actually. And I don't really see any reason why this is an issue. She says, oh, well, okay. And then she takes me around the sex club. Uh, at this moment, there's nobody else in the sex club apart from the staff and me. Uh, which is a slight, a strange experience. So she, she sort of takes me around it and it's kind of like a lot of different porn sets, but with nobody in them and worse lighting. Uh, and so, you know, there's a glory hole section, there's a few bed sections, there's all sorts of bits of the, of the club like that. There's a bit for people who are in couples to just go and be watched but not have anyone engage in the sex with them. And around all of each of the different sort of porn sets, there is a white line, and that's a very sensible white line uh, because that li- white line is about consent. You can't cross over into the sex that's happening unless all of the people in having that sex uh, say you can so you have to stay on the outside of that white line and when she's telling me this she's looking at me like you're definitely going to be on the outside of this white line <laughs> and uh, 
you know, she's sort of like, she's very, very, people keep saying the word virgin as if I'm actually a virgin rather than this is just my first time at a sex club. Um, so it's so kind of getting humiliating and there's no other people. Uh, then some people start arriving, uh, men, uh, lots of other men. Uh, start arriving, and there's one man who is it's his first time too. So uh, the the staff directs us to talk together, and we talk about it. And we're like, oh, we're probably not going to be uh, having any sex tonight. It's statistically very unlikely. We're going to we're going to be reasonable about it. We both feel awkward. We had a kind of nice conversation, and I realised that the good thing is. I do feel calm because I can have conversations with people and we're allowed to talk about sex because this is a sex club. So I'm comfortable with that. But um, still, there's no women. And uh, the, so that's a bit awkward. And then women start coming, but they're in couples. Uh, so uh, they're, 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 that, that's, that's how it is, right? In the, in the kink community, I believe, and in the sex community, uh, there's just a lot more men who want sex uh, going to those places, it seems, than, than women, uh, which kind of reminded me of my <laughs> experiences on OK. Cupid. Uh, so, uh, so then finally, like a woman who is single comes to the club. She kind of she looked like Miss Piggy, but when I say that, I mean in absolutely the best possible way because <laughs> Miss Piggy is fucking hot, and I refute anybody who says anything different. So. That is how she, she, that's kind of how she looked. She had, a, a, she had blonde hair and, uh, and glasses, so that was different from Miss Piggy, the glasses bit. Um, but yeah, and we got into a conversation and uh, she said, uh, so what kink brings you here? And I thought, um, not, not really any kink, because I'm kind of pretty vanilla. I just kind of want to have sex with somebody. Um, yeah, that's what's brought me here. I've opened up my relationship and I explained that to her. And she's like, okay, well, that's fine. And we got, we got into that a big conversation really like she said the first time she'd had had sex was uh, in a group sex situation and uh, she was American and she was 25 because that's something that happens to you in a sex club you ask each other's ages a lot like in, put in you don't do that in normal conversation when you meet someone new but you ask people's ages in a sex club because you know for obvious reasons so uh, yeah so I mean so we get talking and she said to she, we sort of get into I, I didn't really agree with her take on feminism but I did appreciate it what she said was uh what she's and i know that's an awkward thing for a man to say but i think you'll see what i mean in a minute she said uh she thinks that basically men have it worse than women generally uh because she can take the periods the childbirth and the unequal pay if she can get free drinks and shag anyone she likes yeah well i mean Fair enough. That's her, that's her take on it. I, I, I see it a little bit differently, but at the same time, that's a cool way of thinking, and I did, I did, I did relate, relate to that. You know? um, so, so we get talking, and, and she's, sort of like, she's not suggesting that we're going to get together. It's just a conversation. And a guy called Dave arrives. I'm also called Dave, so there's two Daves and one girl talking here. Uh, two Daves, one cup, uh, is what I want to say, but it doesn't really make any sense. But... Uh, so yeah, and he's he's uh, 37 and he's uh, Jewish and he's he'd driven there. So he uh, he was he wasn't going to drink and he was a really nice guy. He didn't like football. We really related to each other there. And we started talking about how rubbish football is, which is my opinion and I, I respect your opinions. Um, but uh, so uh, so yeah, and, and and that sort of started to happen. They hooked up before and they had a kind of pre-existing relationship. And so I sort of thought, oh right, I see how this is going to go. You know, they're going to hook up and and I'm not going to hook up with them. But that's okay. You know, this is a new experience and you know I wasn't expecting anything to happen um, but people keep arriving and there's more and more men but more and more people as well but nobody's having sex and then 
just suddenly, all of a sudden, like a sixth sense almost comes across me, Teddy, her name was, and uh, Dave, and we just sort of stand up, go off to one of the porn-like sets, and uh, start having a threesome. Uh, mostly directed by her, which was cool with me, uh, and a lot of fun. And I was kind of like really, really relaxed. And like, I'm, I was thinking, I'm having sex with a woman and another guy, and I'm not gay, but I don't uh, find this uncomfortable. Um, I don't find it uncomfortable to look at him having sex with her at all. I'm pretty into it. And uh, I was, we were having sex, all three of us together, you know, so I guess I can kind of say I'm not 100% straight, which is what the kids at school thought. Uh, so we, we had a, a, a good time. Uh, there. And it was a sort of strange sort of moment because, you know, we're having sex and it's good sex, but there's lots of men in a big circle around us on the other side of the line wanking. Um, so that's a kind of strange experience. And, you know, all of my feelings about my body and the way I look, like I feel like properly disgusted by my own body. But in that moment, I didn't, you know, and there's all of these guys wanking over my body. I guess I should have <laughs> felt disgusted, but for some reason that was pretty validating, even though I'm sure they were probably looking at her more than me. Um, so, you know, that's how that went down. And then what it did is it sort of started the whole club up, you know, because the first time someone has sex, that's like what everyone's waiting for. And so like everybody, it, it kind of felt like, wow, we're like, uh, we're like DJs, like <laughs> bringing, the, bringing up the sexual atmosphere in this club. Um, and, uh, you know, so then we sort of uh, went out for a cigarette after that and they had, had a cigarette. And the, the guy that was also waiting with me at the beginning, he wasn't so chummy with me anymore. He was much more bitter and kind of, I'm a nice guy. Um, which was a little bit kind of weird for me because I've never been the man that someone else, another man is jealous of, you know? So it was kind of validating, but made me feel guilty for being validated by it, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that, so then we went back into the club and then the, the, the next thing I know, you know, we, there's like a dance floor bit with a pole in the middle and it's not really a place where people have sex and it's sort of like tables where people are sitting in couples and talking. Um, but the next thing I know, I'm on the floor in the middle of the dance floor, Teddy's got a back against the pole and I'm going down on her and the whole room is like looking at me like doing this and like nobody's saying anything, they're just looking at me doing this and I just get really into going down on because it was really good fun um, and you know, I, you, know, I, you know I can't really see what's going on and I sort of like get really into it and she comes like amazingly and I, this was quite pr pretty cool as well because she said to me I don't normally come in group sex situations apart from that time when I hoped there were six guys uh, so I, I felt pretty good about this moment of like validation of like this whole room is looking at me getting this person off and like they're getting off on this and I, I don't know what's happened to me I am amazing um, <laughs> And, you know, that was, that was amazing. Uh, that was the big moment for me. The moment of validation was that moment. Um, but, you know, we did have a lot more sex after that and a lot of other people got involved in it and I was cool with that too. Um, but that was basically how it went down. And then, like, I, at five in the morning, you know, we're all sort of talking and it's kind of calm and, you know, we're eating. Uh, they had uh, Swedish meatballs, which were excellent. In the, <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, it did taste great. Um, and like Adele's playing on the music and we're all kind of like calm and you know Dave is going to give uh, Teddy a lift back to the, his place because they're going to carry on having sex afterwards I think um, and he says you know why don't I give you a lift home so we kind of go down and we, we get into his car uh, Teddy takes off her sort of polka dot uh, two piece lingerie and puts on her night clothes <laughs> her pyjamas which I thought was an excellent move by her uh, <laughs> 
as we got into the car, and uh, he, you know, he drives me back to Asda in Leighton, uh, where he dropped me. Uh, and he said, you know, mate, I've got this uh, chocolate cake here, you know, uh, I got given it at work, I don't really want it, do you want it? And Teddy grabbed it out of his hand and said, no, I want it, because she's that kind of girl. Uh, and ate, ate the cake, and he said, well, I, I've got these chocolates as well, you might as well have them. And I was like, well, I, don't really, I don't really need chocolates, I've had a very great night. And he was like, no, they're not for you. They're for your girlfriend. And I was like, that's really nice. That's a really beautiful moment. Like, this is, this is everything that I hope for about open relationships right here. And uh, so I took the chocolates, and they went back, you know, to watch uh, The Big Bang Theory. That's what they were going to watch. You know. And I walked back uh, from, from the Asda, feeling, you know good about myself and actually like I wasn't a horribly ugly and terrible person. I mean, I did have a feeling at that moment that, it, that sex clubs might be a little bit like gambling and I'd, I'd lucked out that time, um, but it, I might as easily be the guys wanking in the, in the darkness. Um, so I went back one other time and discovered I was right. I wasn't one of the guys wanking in the darkness, that is not really my scene, but I, uh, I did uh, realise that I had lucked out massively on my first time. So I, I learned from this whole experience that maybe you know, it's good to quit while you're ahead in the sex club. But I also... Well, while you're giving head. Uh, but I also learned that... that I am not ugly, which I believed in that moment. I find it hard to believe in this moment, so it's hard to say. But I'm going to try and say it proudly, but it's not going to go that proudly, but let's see. <laughs> that I am not ugly. Thank you. Dave Vickering! And he also has a wonderfully firm handshake. So, the start of 2014 for me really it began in December 2013 which was when Stand Up Tragedy began putting out our monthly themed shows in London alternating between the Dog Star in Brixton and the Hackney Attic. We covered so many kinds of tragedy this year and we preserved it all in audio amber. Tragic Christmas was the first one which was a fundraiser for Arts Emergency who I, I very much endorse and suggest you check out. That was the thing also that triggered, as I said, my depression in some ways, but I'm not really going to blame it all on Tragic Christmas. It was an amazing, cathartic, powerful night. And then as soon as I got home, I just sank into the deepest despair because I guess I'd spent the entire night going over my complicated emotional moments and some of my mental health issues. But I don't regret sharing those. I don't think in the long term it's going to be negative for me I think in the long term that experience is going to be positive for me you can hear that experience and all of the other live recordings of Stand Up Tragedy which we released this year over on Stand Up Tragedy which you can find on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud all of those places same as Getting Better Acquainted so it was it went like this it went tragic Christmas in December then 2014 began with tragic beginnings then we had tragic love tragic heroes tragic martyrs tragic history and greek tragedy 
In July and August, we broke the pattern. There was a crossover event that I did with Kit Lovelace, who's been on Getting Better Acquainted a few years back. Check out his episode. It was a crossover event with his storytelling night that he runs quite a lot. And if you follow him on Twitter, you'll hear about that, at Kit Lovelace. But his night is called romantic misadventure so we did a night of tragic misadventures at the black heart in camden and that was like our final show and big and big fundraiser before we went up to the edinburgh festival as part of the pbh free fringe where we did an hour of tragedy every day at the banshee labyrinth there was no theme it just had to be tragic both established performers who you might have heard of like eddie peppertone or rob orton mix of up-and-coming performers and completely new and fresh and green but equally interesting and exciting performers and we put out those as podcasts too that is where things became much better for me in the bubble of edinburgh this year was really nourishing to my soul normally the bubble of edinburgh if you're a performer can be quite isolating you know it's all about doing this show and it becomes kind of stressful and it's it's not always a, a fun time for people but for me this year being in that bubble having everything about something else was such a relief to me after a year of kind of six months of worry and worry and worry in edinburgh i really felt like i could spread out and stretch and uh, be the best of me and the shows themselves went pretty well we had really good audiences we had really good lineups and uh, there was some really excellent material that happened on our show culminating with an unexpected but very welcome performance from a I guess a celebrity although a celebrity who has a complicated relationship with the idea of celebrity uh, as do I as a non-celebrity the story of that last show at the Edinburgh Festival which was pretty eventful in many many ways uh, at least for me that Edinburgh swan song that Edinburgh strangeness that Edinburgh final show which was atypical and great but could have been so bad it was nearly a tragedy itself which is why I told that story at the Edinburgh reunion show that we held back in London called Tragic Friends in September and then we had our last show the last stand-up tragedy of 2014 which was Tragic Horror we also in our London shows we had some other names that you may have heard of it was a great year we had some amazing performers we had Sarah Pascoe we had Andy Zaltzman uh, and we had returning performers who we loved and new performers who we also loved. So it's been a really great year, an exciting year for tragedy. Some of the time I've enjoyed that excitement, some of the time it's distressed me, but it's definitely been very eventful. It's been harder than I thought to get regular London audiences uh, going monthly, so I've made some tweaks to next year's Sand Up Tragedy plans. But it has all in all been a really successful year for stand-up tragedy. And that's been a nice surprise because at the beginning of the year, I did not expect stand-up tragedy to even necessarily still exist by the end of the year. Because I just did not know if I could afford to give it my time. If I could afford to take the financial risks that taking a show up to Edinburgh entails. Partly I could do that because of inheriting money from my gran who died in December last year that money kind of came to me 
somewhere in the middle of of this year and without having that money going freelance going on holiday all of these things would not have been possible really so that's my privilege that's my luck strange to to be lucky from someone's death but that is what those of us who are privileged enough to have money that can be passed on from one generation to the next are in the position of being because if you are poor enough to need money but lucky enough to inherit it you are in this strange position of being grateful for someone else's passing so edinburgh couldn't have happened without privilege it couldn't have happened as well without a lot of hard work not just from me but from everybody in the stand-up tragedy team and the performers who have performed at stand-up tragedy and all sorts of supporters helpers those kind of things I'm not going to name them all here because this episode's already long enough, but you are loved and appreciated, and I hope you know that. And whilst in Edinburgh, I recorded five live, or as live, if you like, because they're recorded live and then uploaded later. There was a live audience anyway there. Five live GBA episodes, which are some of the best conversations I think have been on the show. There was something about the time limit of only having an hour max to get in our conversation and the kind of chargedness that both myself and my guests brought to those conversations because we were all people who were performing in Edinburgh. I feel like those five conversations almost give you more of an idea of what the Edinburgh experience is about than any Edinburgh special that I've tried to produce in previous years that have tried to, to, to sum up that idea. When I returned from Edinburgh, I released the second collection of songs of 2014 that I put out. Both collections of songs are available online for free. The open EP is available for free download on SoundCloud. This second one though is from a pop duo that I do with my friend Hayley and with the producer George Brufton. The duo is called The Reactionaries. The second album which is the one we released this year is called Bouncy Poppy Songs About Death and it's available on Bandcamp. When your young life is a wave, 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 wave That surrounds you with its sound, 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 sound Covers you in water, makes you think that you will drown, drown Covers you in water, makes you think that you will drown, drown You will drown Unlike the SoundCloud though, you can get it for free, but you can also pay for it if you want. And if you feel like you want to support what I do, if you're a long-time listener to the show, then yeah, click and pay a little bit of money if you like. Because like, as I say, I'm freelance now. this year all in all i can still do with some support if you want to give it and that's a good way to do it go over and buy it but if you haven't got the money or you don't want to give me any money just get it for free so much rather you listen to it it's i'm really proud of it 
I'll tell you how I can easily be really proud of it because it's not just my work. And so I'm not just, I'm no, I don't have the self-loathing when I listen to it that I have when I listen to stuff that's just by me. So have a listen to it. I really recommend it. I wrote half the songs and Haley wrote half the songs. But really, George breathed life into the songs. He took those songs and made them into amazing, new, intricate, beautiful things. So it really is what it says in the tin, bouncy, poppy songs about death. It will take you to dark places, but it will also uh, hopefully give you perspective and positivity within that. You know, the whole gamut of human emotions towards death. So... Again, appropriate to come out in this year that has been all about me opening up and sharing difficult experiences. There's plenty of that on that album. We even recorded a Getting Better Acquainted episode about that album. So if you want to sort of try before you buy, if you want to have a listen to more of me telling you what this album is about, but with the added voices of George and Haley, listen back to the episode I recorded with them of Getting Better Acquainted about that album earlier this year. Now, you might think with all of that that I've just gone on about that I wasn't finding very much paid work because all of the stuff I was talking about, getting better acquainted, stand-up tragedy, I don't really get paid for those things. They cost me money, if anything. But I was getting paid work somehow. People I knew were coming to me with with projects and I I was doing them. From editing podcasts for BAFTA which I did covering for Matt who regular listeners to the podcast will know of Matt because everybody talks about him but he never comes on the show Uh, he's one of my oldest friends I know many people through him but he has not come on the show but he has given me podcast editing work which I've done thanks to him passing on my name to BAFTA so I've done that I've run workshops and hosted nights with Spark London and I've live tweeted and done social media engagement as part of the glorious community theatre project storylines which ampersand media are running monthly at the deptford lounge the next one will be on friday actually if you go down to the deptford lounge at five o'clock or seven o'clock or hang out with us anytime from nine o'clock onwards you can get involved or see what's going on with that piece of theatre that will be created from the day's headline. So we've got no idea what it's going to be. I'll be engaging with the internet about it. If you follow at Ampersand Media on Twitter, then you can get involved with making the theatre stuff without being in the Deptford Lounge. You can help us to craft what we're doing to get ideas and to tell us what stories and added ideas and developments via Twitter. That's really what my job is, is there is doing is engaging with with people on twitter and trying to get them involved in making the piece of theater so follow it on twitter and get involved reach out talk to me i'm really pleased to have this as another of my regular gigs along with spark doing storylines every month is a, a regular paid gig that i am doing not just is it paying me it is really good so i really recommend you get involved They're making interesting stuff and uh, that's great. It's great to be a part of it.
I also managed to find some time to go and support what the Focus E15 mothers were doing in Stratford with their with the house that they occupied, the, the four flats, in fact, that they occupied, that they made into a community centre to show what the flats in that area could be, why it is a terrible thing that there are so many houses that could be used for social housing and there's loads of houses that could house people that are unused boarded up by the council because they're waiting to try and sell those properties on to investors rather than give them to the people of the area who need them and instead they were trying to rehouse people from Stratford all over the country and these were young vulnerable people with complicated lives that needed the support networks of their family and they were moving them away with no real regard for anything when there were houses that could have them when there were houses that could be used and what the focus e15 mothers did is they took action and they demonstrated the unfairness and terribleness of the actions of the council and don't forget that the actions of that council a labor council is really just still a part of the overall policies of the coalition government so they highlighted that in stratford and because i live near stratford i went down there and got involved as much as i could before the arts council funded project that uh took up the rest of my year kicked in i managed to spend some time with there doing volunteer stuff with them and i made a getting better acquainted special focusing on what the focus e15 mothers were doing talking to them talking to people around them i also got involved with, with going on some marches and demos with them and i met some interesting people who I've also had on Getting Better Acquainted. So really, Focus E15 Mothers, I, I went to them in solidarity, uh, but when you go to people with solidarity, you also are given things back in return. And so hopefully I, I helped them in some way and I will continue to keep trying to signal boost and, and getting involved with things that they do as as and when I can. But But in return... I also got so much from those experiences, which I can carry on into the choices I make, the different things I choose to do in my life. But also I met met people who came on Getting Better Acquainted and people are like a chain. You meet one person and then you end up meeting another person. And I guess it kind of reminds me that we are all kind of united, connected, whatever you want to call it, by being people uh, and that we can all relate to each other and find each other as I said, despite my fears at the start of the year, I did manage to continue to put out Getting Better Acquainted every week. I have had a couple of kind of well-known names. I had Musa Okwonga and Neil Denny and Rennie Ido Lodge and Mike Jackson, who was uh, fictionalised in the film Pride. Those have been my kind of celebrity guests, if you like, on this show that is all about focusing on people who are not celebrities. Um, but they're not really celebrities either so that's okay and anyway if celebrities do crop up on this show from time to time they will be treated as what they are which is every day just another part of the human condition so those are the kind of well-known members of the public that i've had on the show i will not tell you what i think are the best episodes because they really are all great like i say have a listen back to the year's episodes and choose for yourself. I've hosted the Hackney branch of Spark London for over two years and 
In 2014, the audiences have grown and the atmosphere at the Hackney Attic on the second Monday of the month has been consistently wonderful. There hasn't been a month where the stories haven't blown me away, seriously. As well as running this night and leading and supporting storytelling workshops, I've also filled in hosting duties at a couple of Brixton open mics run by Spark and at one of the Spark encores, which is the night that we have on the last Thursday of every month where we have invited storytellers as well as an open mic, and that's at Exmouth market and i also hosted a night which is probably one of the most profound and complicated and positive experiences that i had this year which was a night about mental health it was a team up a collaboration with mind haringey we had a, a night of mental health stories where i shared my own mental health story in full and it was a the first time i'd really done that in a, a room full of strangers Four reasons why I didn't really think I had mental health issues. Uh, number one, uh, I was sad and anxious uh, because of things, not because of me. So what I mean by that is, so I mean, I sort of grew up uh, and I had a really happy sort of beginning of my childhood. And then when I got to the age of eight, uh, things went wrong. We moved to the city of Coventry. It wasn't the city's fault. Uh, but we moved into a house uh, where there were very thin walls where my mum and my stepdad decided to sort of disintegrate together uh, in, in a kind of horrible cycle of rage and pain. Uh, and very thin walls meant that I heard, you know, their intimate arguments about their marriage and its how it worked. Uh, also, at that point, my, my stepdad sort of clicked into a kind of patriarchal model that he'd seen from his parents and, and uh, started sort of hitting me uh, from time to time, things like that. So those were reasons to be sad and, 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 and distressed. So uh, that, 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 that wasn't something I considered was in me. Um, and then going on from that, uh, we moved from Coventry to uh, Cardiff, where my mum, understandably, because she just split up with my stepdad, had a nervous breakdown. Uh, during that time, there were reasons why I was sad and I was anxious. It was because my mum was having a nervous breakdown. And how she, was, how she was dealing with that nervous breakdown was spending very long, angry, drunken hours uh, shouting at her 12-year-old son who was trying to make her feel better but didn't really know how to. Uh, and she was saying things like, you know, I wish I'd never had you and uh, men are to blame for everything that is wrong in the world and you are a man and therefore you are wrong and uh, that's the stuff I, 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 I got that. I mean, I got that imbibed into my, into my soul a little bit, you know. Uh, people like to say misandry doesn't exist. I think it kind of did for my mum uh, during that time. Uh, but at the same time, it was a result of, you know, her experiences from misogyny. So really, what are you going to do? Um, but yes, I, I, I imbibed that idea that I was wrong and that I was wrong because I was a man. But again, uh, that's something that was my, you know, that was a thing. That was, uh, that was not me. And then I went to school and I was a big kind of open wound, uh, which meant I was bullied. Uh, and I was bullied kind of systematically, kind of virally. Everyone in school had a nickname for me everywhere I went. That nickname was used. Sometimes there was violence, but normally there was just spitting and that name repeatedly over and over. Uh, good, good liberal helping of uh, homophobic slurs um, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, again, you know, I was told by my mum I wasn't, uh, I was bad for being a man. And then I was told at school I wasn't a proper man. And so I uh, 
really have complicated relationship with the idea of being a man. Uh, but anyway, yes. So I, I didn't have mental health issues because these, these bad things happened to me. Uh, they weren't inside of me. Uh, but then I, uh, I finished my adolescence and I went away to university and everything was fine. Uh, but I still felt the same way. Um, so I guess I should have then started to, to, to realize that I had mental health issues. Uh, but it took a lot longer than that for me to be able to stand on a stage and say that. I still feel a bit weird about it. Anyway, reason number two, I can cope. Uh, this is the thing. All of my childhood, I kept all of that dark stuff away from my dad. I didn't tell him about that. He feels bad about it. He couldn't help me. Uh, but I didn't want to spoil things for him. I was a coper. I was trying to get all of my family to get on with each other. I was the person who kept things going. I wasn't somebody who experienced things. I was someone who solved things, who tried to make everybody feel good. And the thing is, when you're in a kind of toxic family, you can't actually do that. So really what you are is a catalyst for more anger because you're trying to get everybody to get on. Uh, but they don't want to do that. So they will just shout at each other. Um, so, and so I was a coper and recently I discovered that so was my mum. So she had gone to the psychiatrist and, and to the doctor and said, I have a problem. But she had been so together that day that she had not been given any help. Uh, and she is a coper. She worked hard and brought money in and all of those things. But her coping is what destroyed my childhood. Her coping is what caused the rage and stuff that was has riddled my childhood. Uh, and so when I realized that my mum was a coper, I really realized there was a big problem with me being a coper and I needed to stop being a coper. I needed to start uh, just being someone who can be sad and anxious and not have to d deal with it, uh, to be the person who can be held sometimes. Uh, I had to realize that. So number three, I deserved it. So we kind of covered this a little bit. Um, I felt bad, but that was the right feeling for me to have because I was bad. Uh, I was bad because I was told I was bad by lots of other people. And I was bad because the rage that my mum had, I had inside me. And the thing about the rage that I had is that I thought that that was the only thing that I... So I would have stood on stage like 10 years ago and said... My name is Dave Bickering and I have rage. And the reason I was okay with admitting that is because that makes people think you're a horrible person. And I thought that I was a horrible person. Whereas I didn't want to say I had depression or I had anxiety because then people are sympathetic. And I didn't feel like I was deserving of sympathy. So I've been a big talker all my life about my rage issues, even as I've had them completely under control, really. Uh, because of the fact that I hate them so much, I've really had them under control. But I've always admitted to it and talked about it, but never depression and anxiety, not in a public space, not really till now. Um, so the fourth, uh, fourth uh, reason why I didn't have mental health issues uh, was that I knew people who had mental health problems and mine were nowhere near that bad, right? So, I mean, I, at university, I had a friend who had uh, bipolar disorder who I spent many, many hours talking to her about her psychotic uh, uh, visions that she was having when she was in the mental health ward. I visited there every day and that made me feel that I could never be, I wasn't that. Um, not that I'm saying there's a stigma to that, but I didn't have the right to say I had mental health issues, I thought, because she had very demonstrable ones and mine weren't as kind of, uh, I was a coper. 
so I, I, I wasn't as valid. Um, and also, I mean, my mum clearly had mental health issues, and my sister had mental health issues, and they had proper ones, you know, where they actually, you know, tried to, you know, uh, get rid of their lives, rather than mine, which were, the, the closest I got to suicide was in, uh, and I, you know, I have suicidal thoughts uh, uh, quite often. I think Although I don't call them suicidal thoughts because they are more about what not wanting to be rather than wanting to die, you know, just never having existed, just wanting to, 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 to just not be. That's what I have. But the closest I, ha I, I ever was to doing it was in school where one time I sort of got, we were in art class and I got the knife uh, in art class and threatened to kill myself in front of the class, thinking that that would mean that they would suddenly have some sympathy for me and not jeer at me. But they continued to jeer at me and said, do it, do it, do it, do it in a big group. Uh, that was a hard thing to climb down, hard, to, hard thing to climb down from, but I, I managed to. Anyway, uh, so yes, uh, as, as I'm sure you're all thinking, why did I think I didn't have mental health problems? Why did I think I wasn't valid? Well, I guess that's part of the thing that I have. Um, so here's four ways that I learnt to see that I was wrong. Uh, the first one was when I went to a child protection course. I used to work with the under fives and I worked, went to a child protection course um, and we went through emotional abuse and we went through what the things were and I was like tick, 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 tick. Now I'm feeling uncomfortable because the person in charge of the course is saying my mum should have been, uh, <laughs> you know, taken, I should have been taken away from my mum is basically what's happening. And I realised that I don't think that I probably necessarily should have been taken away from my mum, but I do realise that I had experienced emotional abuse. A few years later, I talked to my sister, who is a childminder now. She'd also been on a child protection course and had exactly the same reaction. Uh, and that was a nice moment, though, because we could see that each other you know, in our pain and recognize and be witnesses for each other. So that was a nice moment. Uh, the other, so number two, uh, I've had conversations with my mom. I do a, com a conversation-based podcast and I've had long conversations with her about why she is who she is and why I am who I am. And to have sympathy and be there in a, in a conversation and, and interview her, I had to put myself into her position because that's what I do when I interview people. And by doing that, I actually learned to have compassion for myself in a way that I had not expected to. So I went, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that she was depressed. I'm seeing that she is anxious and, 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 and I'm feeling sympathy for her. So why don't I feel that for myself? And I, I started to have that for myself. Three is talking to people, just talking to people. Like my podcast is about talking to people, but my life is about talking to people. I don't like big groups. Sorry, no offense. Uh, I like one-on-one -on -one conversations or two, two people conversations. But if I get talking, I can happily talk forever. Not, and I do listen as well, um, sometimes. Um, but the thing is, what talking is, how, has taught me is that other people have the same experiences as me or similar experiences to me. And I've realized that I'm not alone and that I can have some ownership of these words. Uh, and that's the last thing. The last thing that's taught me that I have mental health issues is listening to people. And that's what I think tonight is all about. And that's what I, I try to do more because it's hard to listen to people when you're anxious because you just keep spinning your, your words, your words, your words, your words, your words. Because I'm a bit afraid of silence, uh, which makes it an interesting thing to host nights. Uh, yes. So those are the four reasons that I can stand up on this stage and say, my name is Dave Pickering, and I don't just experience rage. I also experience depression. I experience anxiety, and that's okay. And I am learning to deal with those things.
including myself, three people who host Spark London events told stories at that night, sharing with the audience freely and openly our mental health issues, which were diverse, like mine are like the, the common garden coping with anxiety and depression in a way that generally you can get through your life, uh, but it still is painful nevertheless. That's my one. But other hosts of Spark London told stories about eating disorders and alcoholism and addiction and some of the more complicated, if you like, some of the more dramatic and sensationalised mental health conditions we shared them on stage in a non-sensational way and an honest way. And it is something that I'm proud of that I can say I'm, I'm a part of an organisation which will proudly have three of its hosts stand on stage and admit to having mental health issues and for that to be a good thing, for that to be a positive thing, part of what Spark is all about, for that to be part of the ethos of telling true stories, part of the, the, the praxis of telling true stories. And it was a great thing to be a part of that. And it was a great thing to work with mine and to hear other people's stories of their mental health issues on that stage with us. So rare to be part of an organisation where mental health is is not stigmatised and where it is okay to be the figurehead, if you like, the face of that organisation and to be a, f a vulnerable face, a face with weakness and struggles and illnesses that have to be fought, but that to be an okay thing. In September, I found out that my Arts Council funding bid had been successful and from October until nearly the end of December, I was working with Enfield Council, back with the old council that I used to work with, and a group of volunteers uh, of all ages and uh, from a lot of different backgrounds and reasons for being there, with whom I devised, scripted, directed and produced candlelit tours set in Forty Hall in the year 1643. That project was challenging and very rewarding and I was really proud and pleased with the final piece. It's funny looking back, 2014 has been a really hard year for me but it certainly isn't a year where I haven't done anything and so the backpack that I was afraid would not release the parachute has actually turned out to have more than one parachute in it, many kinds of parachutes in it. I've managed to make a living as a freelancer for six months. I've taken Stand Up Tragedy up to Edinburgh and the Free Fringe for a full run and managed to more or less break even. I've moved house, well, Jen moved house. I was in Edinburgh having the most positive part of my year. She was in London having probably the most negative part of her year and I thank her and feel guilty about the way that the timings worked on that still but yes that happened houses were moved and I was okay the first three months of the year may have been dark times but I managed to have some light times too coming up in 2015 there'll be episodes of getting better acquainted which won't be just me talking to the microphone they will be me having conversations with lots of people, many conversations I haven't had yet, because in this busy 2014, I haven't had as much time as I normally do, I haven't given as much time to recording conversations, so my bank has grown low. Uh, but 
never fear the first two weeks of 2015 starting on the on the 5th of january for two weeks i am going to be pretty much doing recording conversations daily and so the bank will be replenished and getting better acquainted will continue also the getting better acquainted 200 season will happen that is where i celebrate 200 episodes of getting better acquainted it's kind of a five part 200th episode if you like daily episodes for five days where the script is switched and the people i know interview me so there'll be five different people or six in fact because one is a tag team of two people and they get to choose how those shows work i've recorded the first one already And that certainly is nothing like getting better acquainted. So it's going to be a really interesting and exciting celebration when the 200th episode run comes around. I'm going to also carry on putting out my regular podcast, putting out Stand Up Tragedy and running the monthly Hackney Spark London. And as I said earlier on, Storylines is added to my monthly rotor. Stand Up Tragedy will be doing four shows in london tragic winter which is happening on february the 28th at the hackney attic tragic spring that's happening on april the 25th at the hackney attic both of those are saturdays and then tragic summer and tragic autumn dates and venues to be confirmed those will be happening i'll also be taking stand-up tragedy up again to the edinburgh festival for a full run if the free fringe will have me we'll see I haven't been offered yet but that's what i hope to do Uh, And I'm also talking about things that I hope to do but haven't been offered yet. I hopefully will be putting together my first ever one-man show currently titled What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, A Personal Journey Through Gender. Well, actually, I think A Personal Journey Through Gender will not be part of the main title. But I'm still deciding those things. I've started writing it. That's what I've been doing between Christmas and New Year. I've kind of done a first-ish draft but I will still be working on that in the coming year in many ways. And I'm intending to take that to Edinburgh in August 2015. Hopefully I will manage to make it in a way that will not alienate the kind of people I want to and will not alienate the kind of people who I want to support it. But we'll see. It's a tricky topic to address and I've chosen this year in a way, 2014, to be my year of taking on tricky topics i also want to write a podcast drama about a tricky topic and i'm hoping to get started on my trilogy of young adult fiction which is kind of about tricky topics so that's going to be my year if all goes to vague post-it note plan but whether or not the post-it note plan happens the things i can guarantee are i'm doing podcasts i'm looking for freelance opportunities Getting Better Acquainted 200 will be happening. The Edinburgh shows will be happening if I'm accepted. If you have things that you'd like to add to my list, especially paid things, uh, freelance opportunities, as I said, very much looked for and uh, welcomed, drop me a line at goosefat101 at gmail.com if you want to talk to me about anything freelance related if you want to talk to me about anything getting better acquainted then gba podcast at gmail.com is the place to go 2014 has certainly when looked at in hindsight 
been a positive year for me, a year where I've achieved a lot of things and done a lot of things. It hasn't been the happiest of years. I'd like for 2015 to, to have a happier year, although, you know, that's a, a privilege. It shouldn't be, but it is a privilege to manage to have happiness. There are many people who don't have the opportunities to find happiness because of the material circumstances of their lives. I'm hoping, really hoping, that material circumstances of my life will continue to allow me to have happiness. But, as you've heard, having the opportunity to have happiness doesn't even mean you could have it. Other things make life complicated. So, Hopefully 2015 will be happy. Hopefully it will be positive. Certainly this year's New Year's roundup, which I guess now is going to have to become a, a motif. It will have to become a regular thing. The first episode of every new year of Getting Better Acquainted. I will sum up what that year has been for me and share some audio that's gone out in different mediums with you. I guess this is a regular yearly thing. Hopefully you enjoy it and that'll make having a yearly thing have a purpose. One thing I'd like to plug before the end of this show is Mike Jackson, who, as I mentioned, was a part of Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors, and which the film Pride was made about. He is running a Kickstarter to try and fund the Tradiga Colliery Band to come to this year's Pride and march at the front as they did in the 80s uh, as a kind of symbolic show of solidarity between working class communities and gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans and other communities all kind of linking together, sharing in solidarity and understanding that that we're all under attack from this government, whatever way we are oppressed. And I don't have very many oppressions, but I... I do have mental health, as I've mentioned in this episode, and that's under attack. People's human rights are under attack from this coalition government, and I am a human, and so that matters to me. Hopefully these things matter to you, and he's trying to symbolically show that with this with this Kickstarter, with funding, getting that band to play at this year's Pride. If you want to help him reach his funding target for that project which is a pretty low one really he's only asking for 2750 pounds which in order to get a whole band worth of ex miners to london without financially disadvantaging anyone that is a very small amount to pay so if you've got the money and you want to support them you can find their kickstarter it's funding for Tradega Band at London Pride 2015 by Mike Jackson. That's the way you'd find it. I'll be sharing a link to that in the show notes too. So I guess that's this episode's plug. And we'll play you out with, yeah, one of the stranger, more surreal, more positive, more negative, whatever. I don't know. A whole bundle of emotions, moments that happened to me this year, as told by me, live on stage at Stand Up Tragedy at tragic friends in september so here's me talking on stage thanks for listening so i don't know if this counts as tragedy but it's about stand-up tragedy so that's kind of why it's in the show so i i mentioned just now that we took a show up to edinburgh and uh that it was a great time we had really good audiences we had really good performers it was a really great time but as the uh 
Edinburgh run carried on towards its end, I suddenly realised a flaw in my logistical abilities. Now, what I'd done is I'd left slots at the end of the run available for performers that I met up in Edinburgh who I hadn't met before, who I, so I could slot them in. And what I didn't realise is no one wants to do any performances on the last day of the Edinburgh Fringe because they haven't got a show to promote and they're tired. Very tired. Very, very tired. And, and so it became clear to me that I was not going to have any acts for my last, uh, last... I wanted a big finale, a big tragic finale, you know. Uh, but I didn't have uh, any acts. So I was scrabbling around to find acts. And I, I found three acts. And I thought, fuck it, they can have longer slots. Um, and so that was, that was where I was at. Going into the last show, I had three acts, and uh, they were going to do longer slots. It was probably going to be okay. So Liz, who is uh, basically uh, known as the dad of the stand-up tragedy crew, uh, I'm the mum, she's the dad, we like to break stere uh, gender stereotypes uh, at stand-up tragedy. Um, and she, uh, she, but she said to me, come on, in London you often do the show drunk. You haven't done the show drunk the whole time, so you're going to be drunk for the last show. Uh, so that was her objective, was getting the host drunk, uh, which she did very well. We saw a great show. Uh, Miranda Kane, I very much recommend it. Some great uh, comedy about sex work. Uh, and then we went on to do stand-up tragedy. Uh, and we're sort of standing outside, flyering, and I'm sort of drunk flyering. I was the best flyering I'd ever done, you know. I was properly in selling the show. Nobody cared because it's the last day of the Edinburgh Fringe and they've all got five-star shows to go to, actually. Um, so uh, so that's, that's how I'm sort of trying to sell the show. And a familiar figure walks uh, up the hill towards the venue uh, and I'm, I think, hang on that's Stuart Lee and uh, so I'd seen Stuart Lee a couple of times in Edinburgh you go up during the fringe, you bump into the famous people, you know, in the Sainsbury's I'd seen him a couple of times but every time I'd seen him he was with his kids and so I'd not thought that it was appropriate to go up to someone with their kids having a life and say, will you do my show, will you do my show, I love you. Um, so I didn't, I didn't bother him. Um, but then so, you know, this sort of felt like fate. Uh, there he was. Uh, so I went up to him and I said, uh, free show at 7.30, sir? And uh, he said, yeah, stand-up tragedy, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't, I don't know why he came to see the show. I don't know if it was because he was, like, looking in the book and he goes, like, oh, well, that sounds like my cup of tea stand-up tragedy. Or if, you know, one of the performers who's performed here, like Josie Long or someone recommended us. I hope that. I, I suspect the second. Um, uh, the first. Whichever was the more negative is the one I suspect. Because I were on a tragedy night, so I assume the worst. Um, so I, I, I directed him to our, our venue. And I was like, right, Stuart Lee's in the audience. Stuart Lee's in the audience. This has got to be a good show. I've only got three acts. How's this going to go? I don't know. I don't know. How's this going to go? Then uh, one of those three acts, he finishes his comedy show and he comes down and he says, I don't want to do the show. Uh, I'm tired. I've just done my last, last, last show. I'm not doing it. Sorry. And so I've got two acts. <laughs> and Stuart Lee's in the audience. And it's time to go. I go, I go in and I go up on stage and I do all the sort of spiel that you saw earlier on, but even more shambolic. Like, that was quite shambolic tonight. I'm kind of specialised in shambolicness. It's kind of my thing. Um, but this was really shambolic. I was a complete mess. Like, the, the microphone kept going wrong and dropping the mic and all sorts of things. Now... I welcome the first act on. Now, she is a brilliant harp player called Josie Rose Duncan, and she's got a harp, right? 
And that's, she, it's normally beautiful and it normally works brilliant, but she starts and then it doesn't work, like it's not in tune. So she has to retune the harp. It's a lot of strings on a harp. It's kind of an awkward moment. Then she starts the song uh, and then she stops and starts again because she'd started in the wrong key because when she was tuning, she'd put the switches in the wrong place. So this is so far my show for Stuart Lee. It's a brilliant show. Uh, that I'm presenting him. I mean, she was brilliant, don't get me wrong, but it was a sort of awkward sort of st- start. The second act we had on, uh, he was a, 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 a storyteller, uh, a, a Scottish storyteller, so we were really pleased to get some Scottish acts for our last night. That was kind of a coup for me. I was pleased about that, going out with some Scottish acts. Although, I did think that the referendum was the next day, and it was obviously not. <laughs> And I did say that in front of Stuart Lee and then get into an awkward interaction with the two Scottish people about what they were voting for. You know, I, I basically pressed all the wrong buttons in the room. So that was some nice skill. He came up and, he, and then he said, I don't think I have any tragedy from all of the Scottish folk tales. Do you understand that? Because I don't understand that. But he, he reckons he didn't have any tr- tragedy. So he decided to tell a story about um, what was under his kilt uh, and how he'd once flashed everyone in the Royal Mile. And that was a good story. It wasn't very tragic. But at this point, I didn't feel like I was presenting Stuart Lee with my best work. Um, thank- thankfully, so at this point, I was pretty much stuffed. But luckily, just before I'd come in, I had uh, spoken to a wonderful guy called the Monkey Poet. And I'd said to him, look, I haven't got any acts. I've wanted to get you on the whole run, but you're like a will-o'-the-wisp. I can't catch you. You're always running somewhere, running somewhere. I said, yeah, I'll do the show, but I'm going. Um, and he was like... I can't do it, I've got no voice. And I'm like, what? He's like, I really have lost my voice. And I'm like, okay, man, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, but then he came through. So once the show started, he came in just as I was going on and he grabbed me by the arm and he said, I'm going to do it. And I was like, because he knew Stuart Lee was in the audience and he wanted to help us out and he was very kind to do that. So the next act was The Monkey Poet. He did two poems and he had no voice. And the thing is, his poems are about shouting. But he couldn't shout. So it was very painful to watch this man just hurt his larynx. <laughs> and he was like, do you want me to do another one? And I was like, no, it's okay. <laughs> and everybody had run short. So I get up. And I got like nearly half an hour of material. I got one song, it's three minutes. And I look into the audience. And I catch Stuart Lee's eye. And I sort of think, right, this is a moment I can transform this last moment of the Edinburgh Festival for us. So I said, you know, well, our next act, I don't know if he wants to do it. Uh, He might not. He doesn't know me from Adam, so he probably won't trust me. His stage persona suggests he might very well say no. (laughs) But if he wants to share some tragedy with us tonight, we'll... And Stuart Lee nodded his head and smiled, and I thought, fucking hell, I'm going to introduce Stuart Lee. And then I did introduce Stuart Lee, everybody, and Stuart Lee came on. The whole audience were like, what the fuck's happening? And and when I say the whole audience, I mean like four people, um, and the performers. And, and, And then Stuart Lee comes on stage, and he fucking does 20 minutes, a solid, fucking amazing performance that he won't let us podcast, but it was amazing. And, uh, and the, the, by the end of his act, the room is packed. The whole of the bars come in because they know Stuart Lee's on stage. 
And he finishes, and I've still got three minutes, and I've got a song that's three minutes. <laughs> so then I asked the audience if it's appropriate for me to go on after Stuart Lee, and the audience said yes. Bless them. And then I closed up the show with a song. So tonight, we're going to close up tonight with that same song. So we're, but never, you never know, Stuart Lee might arrive. I mean, I did send a, an, an email to his agent. Because that was the thing. As he ran away, I sort of said, Stuart, I'd love to get you on the, on the bill in London. I'd really like to book you. What do you, what do you reckon? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a website. And I'm like, no, I, I, I want to... And he, was, and he said it again. He said it a few times. He said it a few times in a clear, it's a bit way. Uh, so, but you never know. Who knows? Maybe his website does mean that you can contact him directly. It doesn't. Uh, but maybe he'll come and maybe he'll close the night. But if he doesn't, I will sing us out. And that is my sort of almost tragic, but not quite, story of the last day of the tragedy at Edinburgh. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone Stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted 